0: Well, with that, I'm going to ask that you would turn to God's Word this morning. We're in the middle of two series. We just have finished up uh, a series out of the book of 1 Peter. Uh, If you haven't been around uh, with us for very long, we just finished 26 weeks. Uh, in that five-chapter book of First Peter, and we finished that last week. And uh, I pray that God will use that for his glory in the days to come. And uh, next week we will uh, find ourselves in the book of uh, Haggai, the Old Testament book, uh, a minor prophet. If you've got some time this week, I'd really encourage you to take some time and read. It's two chapters long. It's a book that many of you probably have never read before, and we're going to spend five weeks in that series. All of the month of June will be dedicated to a series that we are calling Consider Your Ways and trying to understand how we ought to be about God's business and not so much about our own. But with that, I'm going to ask that you take God's word in your hands and turn to 2 Timothy this morning. I just want to share from my heart this morning from a very famous passage of Scripture outside of any series, just some thoughts uh, from your pastor, uh, giving us uh, kind of the theme of this Memorial Day uh, weekend. As we find ourselves in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 6 or 8, if you don't have a Bible with you this morning, you can turn to page 996 in the Pew Bible that is there in front of you. And today we celebrate, remember, and commemorate uh, the loss of more than 1.3 million servicemen and women in the wars that have been fought both here on native soil and that also around the world. Men and women who are willing to give their life for the sake of another. Abraham Lincoln, long before Memorial Day was ever commemorated here in the United States, would share during his famous Gettysburg Address that the men and women that lose their life for the sake of our freedom would give their last full measure of devotion in the service of their nation. And that is true. And that's why we celebrate and commemorate those who are part of our family, who have left their family and friends and way of life to fight. But I also think that as we celebrate Memorial Day, it's a reminder for all of us as Christians that every day should be Memorial Day. Not only should we celebrate and commemorate the lives of those who sacrificed for our freedom, but we should be reminded as Christians that Jesus Christ laid down his life in the greatest act of service so that you and I might have the opportunity by faith to be followers of his. I'm so thankful that we have a Savior who gave his last full measure of devotion to his father by going to the cross, by giving all that he had, pouring it all out there for our behalf that we might be called sons and daughters of God. I'm so glad that not only Jesus has done that, but we have examples throughout the scriptures as we do with the Apostle Paul in 2 Peter chapter four, a man who gave his all and gave 110% so that you and I might be true followers of Jesus Christ as he followed Christ, that we might imitate his ways. You see, the scriptures are chock full, especially the New Testament, and the writings or the, uh, the, the words of Jesus that giving our all is what Christ asks for. He doesn't suggest it. He demands it, that as followers of his, that we would give our last full measure of devotion. In Matthew 16, verses 24 and 25, he says it two different ways as he shares with people what a disciple of Jesus Christ is to look like. He said, if you want to be my disciple, then you must deny yourself. You must take up your cross, and you must follow me. The idea here is that the life in Christ is a life that denies oneself of your own prerogatives, of your own preferences. It's like being enlisted as a soldier. You're told what to do. Your opinion many times doesn't matter because it's about winning the battle and following your general into that conflict. But notice he says that it may involve death. You're going to take up your cross. It's going to mean dying to the things that you would want to be a part of to follow the ways of Christ and devoting yourself, following Christ in the ways that he would go. Notice he goes on and he says, for whoever wants to save their life, you want to have your life, you want to keep your life, he says, you got to lose it. you got to give it up. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. I don't know about you this morning, but for me, I want to lose my life for Christ that I may gain the abundant life that Christ promises to give. So how do we do that this morning? How do we give our last full measure? You see, as Christians, as Christ followers, it should be our greatest desire to give our all to Christ and his kingdom. And just like soldiers, as we commemorate today, you and I are called as enlisted men and women to serve Christ and his kingdom. When I was a little boy, we used to sing about being in the Lord's army. And it would talk about, though we may never have marched in the infantry, we never ride in the cavalry, we've never shot the artillery. Remember all those hand signals? Some of you are there. Yeah, wow, I remember that. And I remember at the end of that, as little kids, we would sing, we're in the Lord's army, and the when the hand motions was to stand. You guys remember it. Yes, sir. Yeah, we got it, okay? We're in the Lord's army, and we're called to give not 10% or 20%, but as soldiers, all of who we are, for him and his kingdom. And Paul is an example of that this morning, that wherever you find yourself, wherever you find God, where God has placed you, that you are to give all All that you have as a last full measure of your devotion to God. Well, how do we do it? Paul gives us some words this morning. I just want to take some time and unpack these verses, and then we're going to just give it to the Lord, and let's do that this morning. By standing in reverence to his word, let's look at our text this morning, and let's spend some time there to honor him as we study. Here's what Paul says. For I'm already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Father God, we come before you, and we remember what you have done in our lives. As we remember those who have died for our freedom, we remember that the greatest gift that was given the greatest sacrifice that has ever taken place is the sacrifice of your precious and pure son Jesus Christ because it is there that we do not only receive freedom as citizens of a of a sovereign nation but we receive forgiveness and our bondage of sin the chains of death have been taken away and so Lord we want to remember that and as a result of what you've done for us Lord let us live a life of gratitude as we serve you thank you for paul's example of how we ought to live how we ought to give our last great measure of devotion to you and you alone so lord teach us pray you'd speak through me in christ's name we pray amen and amen go ahead and be seated so how are we to live this great measure of devotion some of it's already been seen this morning Lisa O'Brien, who says, you know what, it's not about living here uh, in the United States with all of its comforts and all of its opportunities and all of my friends and family, but to go into a far-off land. For some of you, it has meant uh, going outside of your comfort zone and serving your brothers and sisters that live in your neighborhood or serve in the schools. It is an opportunity for us to say, Lord, because of all that you've given me, I want to give back in return. And so how do we live this out this morning? There are three points I want to look at this morning. And the first one is, if we want to give our last full measure of devotion as followers of Jesus Christ, it begins by living a life with no restrictions. It is living a life with no restrictions. Now, right away you're gonna say, wait a minute, Tim, isn't the Christian life about doing things and not doing things? Isn't it about making sure that we stay away from sin? Well, sure. But that's not kind of restrictions I'm talking about this morning. Living a life without restrictions is saying to God, God, my hands are off of the wheel of my life. I no longer hold to the prerogatives and preferences. God, I'm going to give you all of who I am, and I'm going to let you use me as you will. And that's what giving your last full measure of devotion is all about. It is releasing ownership of your life, and giving that ownership to who rightly deserves it, that being God. Remind, we're reminded that when Christ went to the cross, we are told that we were bought with a price. We are not our own. And so what happens is, is we start putting restrictions in our lives as to what we will and won't do. Many times we'll say, God, I'll serve you if it fits my calendar. God, I will give to you as long as it doesn't hurt my pocketbook too much. God, I will do what you want as long as it doesn't cramp what I'm wanting to do, the desires and wants that I have in my life. What Paul says is, that's got to be gone. You've got to freely give of yourself, and you've got to say to God, God, I'm ready to serve you, I'm ready to honor you in whatever way you want. I think of two uh, mission songs that come to mind when I was growing up that that I love that talk about this. Uh, One mission song was by a guy named Scott Wesley Brown, and he said, Please don't send me to Africa. I'll go anywhere, Lord, but not to Africa. And he has this or just a funny uh, idea of fighting with God, wrestling with God, this idea of not going where God may want to call him. The Allies was a Christian band in the 80s and 90s, and they had a song talking about where they would go. And they said, Lord, send us to the islands where the palm trees sway by the seashore, where life is slow and the cool winds blow, and I won't have trouble no more. Some of us are willing to do it. Lord, yeah, I'll go serve on some resort someplace. I'll do that. But Lord, if you're calling me to my neighbor, if you're calling me to reach out to my school or my workplace where I might lose some credibility, where I might lose some popularity, then Lord, I can't do that. You see, we can't choose where God wants to have us. We don't get to choose what God is going to call us to be a part of. And number one, it begins by us releasing ownership of our lives and giving it to God. God, I am willing to be used by you in whatever ways. And I will tell you, that is an incredibly scary proposition to make to God. Because God will take you up on it, and I will tell you, you're in for an adventure. But here, notice, the Apostle Paul doesn't just share this as a way of just principle, he shares it as a way of his life. The apostle Paul lived this. God told him, I want you to go, and I want you to reach out, not only to the lost, but you're going to stand before kings and rulers, Jews and Greeks. You are going to suffer for my name. And boy, did Paul suffer. Paul endured hardship. He endured persecution. He endured beatings and imprisonment. And now we see Paul, some 30 years, 35 years after uh, coming to see Jesus on the road to Damascus as a 60 to 65-year-old man, Paul finds himself totally understanding what it meant to live a life with no restrictions. So how do we do it? Number one, it begins by sacrificing, sacrificing daily for God. You see, what we need to understand is that as Christians, we are called to a ministry. Notice in verse 5 that Paul tells Timothy, he says, hey son, my spiritual son, who he's writing to, and just to give you some understanding, Paul at this moment is writing in a Roman prison, waiting for his impending execution. He's not enjoying it at Club Med. He's sitting in prison for one reason, for living a life that's faithful to God. He's about to be put to death, and he says to Timothy, I want you to fulfill your ministry. A life without restrictions is a life that is able to fulfill the ministry that you have. Here's the thing I want you to know. You have a ministry. You see, we get this idea that our ministers are the only ones who have ministry. When I took on this job 10 years ago, uh, I remember feeling a bit like an oddity. It's always been a problem of mine, feeling odd. But I felt it especially because I was a pastor who also had another job. And, and that doesn't happen very often. And I remember being kind of embarrassed about that. People say, well, well what do you do? And, and I'd say, well, I'm a caterer, but I'm also a pastor. Wait, wait a minute, what? Your church doesn't have enough money to provide for you. What's, what's going on there? And over the years, that which I saw as an oddity, I have come to embrace wholeheartedly. And here's why. Because I can look at you who work in the real world, and I can say, you know what? Your pastor knows what it's like to have a ministry, but to also have a job. And I want you to understand today that you have a ministry. And your ministry is you where you are serving. Can I tell you that I do the same amount of ministry at 5B's Catering as I do here at Village Bible Church? That the ministry that I'm doing at 5Bs at as, I, as I cook pork chops for a living, as I lead people, is the same opportunities that I have to lead you as a congregation. We have a great opportunity. Wherever we find ourselves, in the neighborhoods that we live in, I just got done serving as a soccer coach. And I got an opportunity to pour into the lives of young people. That ministry is no different than the ministry I have here. We have ministries that we are called to fulfill. But what that means is we've got to stop holding on to things and saying, well, God, this is my spiritual life, and then here's my secular life. You can't do that. All that we are a part of. Remember when we did a stewardship series about a year, year and a half ago? Everything on this great earth Everything is God's. He owns it all. And so when we serve, whether on the soccer field or in a church, whether we find ourselves at work or at play, we are serving God in a sacred vocation for him. And so we've got some work to do. And what that means is, number one, taking the hand off the wheel and sacrificing daily for God. Here's what Paul says. Notice he starts and he says, I'm already being poured out as a drink offering Now for many of you say, what in the world is Paul talking about? We don't understand this, but Paul as an incredibly devout Jewish man would totally have understood this. From Numbers chapter 28 verse 7 and 8, we know that a drink offering was what would take place at the offering when the lamb was placed on the fire. A Jewish individual would bring the unblemished lamb to show God, I'm giving you my all. I'm giving you the best that I have. And he places the lamb on the altar and the lamb begins to be set ablaze as a fragrant offering to God. And the priest would take a goblet or a, a cup of wine and he would take it and he would begin to pour it over the altar. And little by little, gradually, he would pour it. And what would happen is, is the, the uh, uh, fragrance of the wine on the fire would bring forth a great aroma. And it would be a reminder that which I'm giving is pleasing to God. The priest would give his stamp of approval. This is pleasing to God. Here's what Paul is saying. My life, my ministry is in the hands of God. God, the great high priest, is pouring my life onto his altar and he's pouring it out, and I am being poured out. And Paul is saying that, that pouring out is happening. The contents of my ministry is being poured out onto the altar. He spoke of this in Romans chapter 12, that we are to live our lives as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. All that we are, all that we do, God is, we give to God, we place ourselves in his hands, and he pours ourselves out. Some of you this last week are tired You've served in the way of ministry, in the garage sale. Man, it seems like you've been doing a lot of work. Well, that's what it means to be poured out like a drink offering. To give of all that we have to be a part of what God is doing. To be able to do that, we have to sacrifice daily for him. You see, Paul saw his life not as an opportunity for him to gain something, but to give it away to the God who bought him with a price. So let me ask you this morning is your life, your daily pursuit, a desire to see what you can gain, what you can gather, or is it what God has called you to give? As your pastor, my calling is to remind you that it is greater to give than it is to receive. And to be reminded of that truth that daily we wake up and say, Lord, what do you have for me today? Can I tell you that's scary? One of the reasons why many of us don't do that is we're afraid that God might take us up on that promise. That, Lord, I'm here. I'm ready to serve. I'm ready to do what you would have for us. But we need to understand that just as we have sung this song many times, take my life, Lord, and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. And it goes on stanza after stanza. Take my heart. Take my hands. Take my mouth, Lord. Take all of it and use it each and every day, and some of us need to start asking the question this morning, am I fulfilling the ministry that God has called me to? Now notice, he says, I'm being poured out as a drink offering, but notice it only doesn't involve sacrificing daily for God, but it also is seeing, seeing our departure as the beginning. He goes on, he says, I've been pouring out like a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. Peter finds, I'm sorry, Peter. Peter's on the brain for the last 26 weeks. Paul finds himself on death row. His only crime was obedience to his Savior. And his time is about up. And you don't see Paul complaining. You don't see him arguing with God. You don't have him saying, Lord, I've done all of this. I've served you. I've honored you with all that I've done. And this is the thanks I get as being put in prison and being uh, tried for crimes of being faithful to you? He doesn't say that at all. Notice he says that his impending death is a departure, it's a departure. I want you, to, if you underline or, or circle or whatever you do in your Bible, that's an important word because what Paul sees is not death but a departure. That word departure in the Greek language was a word that spoke of the process of a ship being loosened from its hold at the dock and those ropes being let loose so that the ship could start its journey. What Paul is saying is he's saying, hey, I get it. My departure is not into death or oblivion, but it is like the ship that is being loosened for its departure, for its great journey. Brothers and sisters, if we want to understand what it's like to give our last full measure of devotion to God, we have to look at eternity for what it is. It is just the beginning. One of the things that has marked my life, and many of you know this if you've been around my teaching for very long, is the death of my brother Chris. And one of the things that absolutely amazes me is some of those God moments that were working up towards Chris's last days here on earth. About a month before he died, Chris gave a testimony. Again, unknown, number one, that it was being recorded. And number two, that it would be some of the last moments that we would have of Chris's life. He was at a Bible camp. And when he was at the Bible camp, he started to share about a 20-minute testimony about what God was doing in his life. And that day before, the group had had a time of communion. And Chris, and it's amazing, 16 years old. You know, 16-year-olds don't usually have these types of moments. He talks in great length about the communion time, the intimacy that he sensed with his Father in heaven. And the 16-year-old kid looks out to the group of people, and he says, let me tell you something. It was so sweet. It was so wonderful that the next time I want to have communion is with my Lord and Savior. And that was the last time he had communion here on earth. And he saw the finish line as just the beginning. Now, did he know that? No, I don't think Chris was some prophet. He wasn't that smart coming from his younger brother. But he recognized that there's something waiting and in store. Let me tell you something. We will never get this Christian life down Hear me out as clear as day this morning. We will never get this Christian life down until we stop looking at the here and start looking to the then. And what I want you to understand is not that we become so heavenly minded that we have no earthly good, but we start recognizing that it ain't all here. It isn't about here. It isn't about now. Brothers and sisters, this is a blip on the screen of eternity. And so we need to be hard at work in the days that God gives us, whether it's one more day or a thousand uh, more days. Whatever the Lord gives us, we need to serve him with all of our heart, fully knowing that when we close our eyes or in the presence of God, it's just the beginning. And that we will live with eternity on our mind, ready to serve. Jim Elliott understood this as a missionary, and he said this, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. Let me say that again. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. That's a litmus test for a life that understands what it means to serve God with your last full measure of devotion. He would give up his life as a young man, serving the gospel of Jesus Christ as a missionary. He got it. You see, we need to understand, Paul got it, Jim Elliot got it, I hope I get it, that Solomon was right, that we we come into this world naked, and naked we shall return. You see, some of us have bought into the schemes of the world, that we think that we're going to take the U-Haul trailer behind the hearse when we die. I want you to know, you never see that, do you? You never see the guy, and I once heard of a guy that, that was buried in his Corvette. Well, that Corvette's rotting right now in the ground. We don't get to take it with us. The only thing we get to take is that which we have done for Christ in the body. It is what we have done for eternity that will last. This is what Paul's talking about. Don't let the restrictions of this world keep you from serving God. Now notice he goes on and he says, okay, don't live live without restrictions. And notice he wants us to live without regrets. To live without regrets. Paul, how do you do that? Far too many of us as people, Paul, regrets haunt us. If we had moments to talk about the regrets that we have, we would spend all of our afternoon just having each person talk about the regrets, the opportunities that were lost, the relationships that were broken, the money that was spent. You see, we regret all kinds of things. We regret spending too much on a certain thing. We call that buyer's remorse or buyer's regret. We spend it as parents thinking that we didn't spend enough time with our kids, and we probably haven't. We have remorse and regret about relationships that have gone bad, the people that have let us down. And yet Paul seems to rise above that, and he begins to look at his long life, and he says, I've got no regrets. And I want us as Christians to be able to look at our lives and say, We don't have regrets either. So how do we do that? How do we begin to live a life with no regrets? Number one, it involves being rigorously disciplined. Notice the text says, I have fought the good fight. I have fought the good fight. He gives this idea of a soldier, of a soldier who has done well in fighting the good fight. Let me tell you, I've got a lot of regrets in my life. I've made a lot of stupid decisions in my life. For which, living in the same area that now I minister, at times I really regret it when people say, oh, I remember when. Every time I hear that, my head just goes down and says, just be gentle, be gentle. Okay? Let me tell you the things that I regret. All of the things, as I sat and thought about this, all of the things I regret were things and decisions that I made that I pursued sin. And if you want to understand a little wisdom, talk to some of the older people in this church and ask the question, where are your regrets? And I'm going to tell you the vast majority of them are going to be our sinful, selfish decisions that we made to serve self instead of the Savior. Can I tell you what I don't regret? I've never regretted pursuing holiness. I never said, boy, I wish I wouldn't have pursued holiness. I wish I wouldn't have told the truth. I wish I would have lied more. I just, I don't do that. I wish I would have pursued more selfish things. I, those are the things I regret. The things I don't regret is serving Christ. I don't regret a moment of my life in serving the gospel as a pastor, as a small group leader, in serving in behind the scenes. I've never walked away and said, boy, that was a waste of time. But boy, there's a lot of times where I've sat and watched things on television and done things. said, man, I just, why did I waste my time doing that? Paul says, you, you want to serve God well? You want to live a life of no regrets? Then serve Christ daily. Fight that good fight. Now notice that word, it's a good thing for us to do. It's the good fight. It's intrinsically valuable for us to pursue this way of life. But notice, it's going to cost you something. He says it's a fight. That word there is uh, agonizomai. It's it's the word where we get agonized from. It it literally means that it, it's it's something that we have to pursue with all of who we are. It's strenuous. It's something that we've got to work at with all of our heart. And Paul made the mind up. His mind up at some point that if I'm going to be victorious in the cause of Christ, then I'm going to have to fight every step of the way because my flesh is going to tell me to go other ways. The world is going to tempt me to go other ways. The devil's going to tell me I should go every. which way except for the way of God and Paul says I've got to fight through it every step of the way can I tell you that the problem with 21st century evangelicalism is there's no fight left in us we don't fight anymore we've given up because fighting's too hard and life is supposed to be easy so we put about us a whole bunch of teachers who just tell us to live the good life and to pursue the easy life. And if, life is, if the life in Jesus isn't a part uh, of blessing and health and wealth and, and, and long life and, and everything coming to us on a platter, then, then it's too hard. It's legalistic. And I'm not talking about the crazies that are out there on on TV. I was a part of a group of pastors who said, Tim, what you're trying to do at your church, as I shared the the call, the commitment that we have as a church, uh, one of the pastors, uh, part of a megachurch, I won't tell you where, but part of a megachurch, 15,000 people. He says, that's too much to ask for. And I said, boy, I'm glad you weren't the Savior. Because Jesus gave me his all. And if Jesus gave me his all, brother, with all due respect, shouldn't we be giving our all to him? But we have got this mindset that the battle for Christ, the walk of Christ is going to be easy. You know, the Apostle Paul would say, absolutely not. I fought the good fight. Is there joy in it? You betcha. Is there contentment in it? You bet. Paul says, I know what it's like to be in want and to have no needs. I get it. But Paul would never say that it was your best life now. So let us be very careful not to change the way of Christ into what we think it should be. Notice it involves heading in the right direction. It involves heading in the right direction. We've got to agonize in this fight. But notice he says, I have finished the race. Not only was he a fighter, but he was also a runner. And with great endurance, he understood what it meant that the race wasn't a sprint, but it's a marathon. And the goal that God had for him and for us today was to finish the race. He had to run in the right direction, he couldn't cut corners, he couldn't cheat. He had to stay in his lane. And notice it does not say, and we forget this so often, it does not say that he won the race. It says he finished. When I was a senior in high school, I was a track athlete. I know that is a paradox of terms. But I threw the shot put in discus. And so those were my two events. That's all they had for big guys like me. And there was a, a uh, um, stipulation in track meets that you could only uh, be in four events. You track athletes, remember that. Only four events. You couldn't run everything. You could only do four. And we were at a track uh, invitational up at Caneland. And my coach walks over and he says, we've got a chance to... Uh, to be in, in the, uh, to place as a team, this little team from Hinckley Big in this 25 team invitational. We've got a chance to place as a team and receive a trophy. And I said, That's great, coach. That's awesome. He says, There's one problem we need someone to run the two mile. And he says, everybody else is maxed out in events, and Badal, you're, you've been done for a while. Your two events have been done. I said, coach, I, I, I got first place in both of them, man. I've done what you needed. He says, no, we need you to run one more event. We need you to run the two-mile. After throwing up, um, I, uh, I, I made the decision, because as shot putters and discus throwers, what you did is you threw the shot put and discus, and then you went and ate sub sandwiches for the rest of the afternoon. That's what you did. And so the coach hey I I need you to do this you're the captain this is what captains do they sacrifice for the team I said I don't know if I can do it he says all you got to do is finish the race you just got to finish the race and so what I did was stupid stupid is what stupid does Forrest Gump told us stupid does is I go in and I start trying to compete with the guys that are there 110 pounds dripping wet I come in I take up two lanes of traffic and and so I say to them, hey, man, I'm a record breaker in, uh, in the two-mile. And they're looking at me, really? Oh, yeah, I'm breaking all kinds of records. What they were were weight records of running the two-mile. And what happens was is I start thinking, I don't want to be embarrassed. And so as the gun goes off, I try to keep up with these guys. And for the first lap and a half, I was in much better shape than I am now, but for the first lap and a half, I do okay. But the problem was, is I was not pacing myself. I wasn't running my race. And I remember the guys got farther and farther away. I remember after the first lap, my coach comes running on the infield alongside of me. He was a 75-year-old man in a wheelchair, and he kept up with me. And he comes up, and he says, you're not running your race. You're running too fast. It's not about them. It's about you finishing. And I kept running, and little by little, the guys start passing me. Lapping me, that is. And I'm on the fifth, Fifth, I think I was better in the first service. I said six lap. I think I was on the fifth lap when I heard the gun go off that the lead runners were on their last lap. And I start feeling embarrassed. And then embarrassment goes to sheer terror when the PA announcer says on my, like I'm on six and a half, it's eight laps, okay? It's the longest 48 minutes of anyone's life, okay? Because now I'm running so slow, it's not even funny. My, my coach is just saying, C- can you just keep it to a jog? Just jog. You just have to finish the race. The PA announcer, I'm on the other side of the track. The PA announcer says, would the runner from Hinkley, Big Rock, please move to lane eight? We need to finish the track meets. <laughs> now I don't even want to run by the crowd because I'm embarrassed. Here's this, the moral of this story. Run your race. The job isn't to be the one who wins first. Can I tell you who was the most excited when we stood as a team and got that trophy? It was me, because I finished the race. And some of you right now are running this race and saying, man, look at them, they're blowing by me. And so you keep running a little faster and you're getting tireder and tireder, you're worn out, and you're saying, why can't I keep up with these guys? Because you're not supposed to. The Bible says that they are gonna be thoroughbreds of faith men and women that are just going to just blow us out of the water, and that's okay because God has given them that ability to do so. And so our job is to run our race. And right now, some of you are really disappointed with yourself, and God is just saying from the infield, just finish the race. Notice the final thing that the way finishing the race is done is having a rugged determination. He says, I have kept the faith. The idea here is that the world of Christianity, in this world walking with Christ, in this world walking with Christ is going to produce, as it did for Paul, many trials and pains. It's going to be filled with doubts, and Paul would have them all along the way. He would even have the devil wreaking havoc in his life and what was called the thorn in the flesh. But Paul never allowed that to get him down. Paul never allowed that to cause him to quit. And it shouldn't do it for us either. The Christian life is a life that says, I am determined to do what I've been called to do. The word kept there means to keep watch. It means to guard a treasure, something of great value. Paul would tell Timothy in another letter to guard the good deposit that was entrusted in you. You have the spirit of Almighty God living and residing in you. The greatest gift you will ever be given is that you now have become the temple of the living God. God has given you that as a trust. Now he's calling you to live as a result of that. That should motivate you. It should cause you to live differently. It is like Jesus said, it is like a master who gives his tenants, his workers a deposit A deposit that he says, one day I'm going to come back and I'm going to ask, what did you do with that deposit? And some of you, just like that story, the parable of the talents, have done nothing but bury that deposit into the ground. While others of you have worked hard and have uh, added to that deposit. Others of you have seen hundredfold return on that deposit. And God says, I'm going to come back. And for those who have buried that deposit into the ground, he does not have kind words. He does not have words of love and sincerity. He calls us worthless slaves and we take that which he has given us and we do nothing with it. God says that we need to be a part of doing something with the deposit that God has given to invest in it for a greater harvest. That's what the Apostle Paul did. Here's the thing. The Apostle Paul was changed by Jesus Christ and his inheriting of that deposit and what he did with it is part of the reason why you and I are here today. Talk about a return on the investment. Paul never knew what his impact was going to be. But he lived his life in a way that there could be an impact. So notice the final thing this morning, we'll close this out, is that it involves living a life to gain a reward. What allowed Paul to live his life the way he did? Notice he looked to the prize. He says in verse 8, Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day and not only to me but also to all those who loved his appearing. You see, far too many of us have come into this idea that all we need is some salvation. I don't want to go to hell and so I've got to get my salvation and it's my celestial fire insurance. And so I've got it and as long as I've got it, that's all I need. Well, let me tell you something. That's not the Christ that I follow. Christ is not an insurance provider. He is the one who gives abundant life that we have the opportunity now to live differently in the life of grace that he's given. And so what I've come to know, what I was taught as a child and throughout my years in this church was that because of grace, now I have an opportunity to live a life of gratitude. And so I want to live that way. But why? It will sound very unchristian, but I want to do so for a reward. You see, the Bible tells us that there are rewards to be had. That it's not simply just getting to heaven and saying, well, I'm glad I got here, but that we should pursue living a life where we will receive rewards. He says there's a crown, the apostle Paul says. And he says this crown is guaranteed. He says it is laid up for me. Listen, when we serve God faithfully, He's holding something for us. My prayer is that all that I'm doing in this life here and now, God is laying up for me a crown. That one day I will stand in glory and he'll say, hey, I've got some things that have been waiting for you. To get the best understanding of what Paul is saying, even though I know he didn't have this back in the day, was he went to the sporting event. And he didn't have the ticket with him, but he went to a window that said will call. You, Many of you know what the will call window is. You go there and you pick up the tickets that are already reserved for you. I went to a Cubs game last year, and a friend of mine had the tickets at the will call window. And when I got there, all I had to say was my name. And they said, it's great to have you at Wrigley Field today, Mr. Bedal. Here's what you've been waiting for. God is one day going to stand before us, and he's going to say, hey, Tim. This is what you've been waiting for. I've had it sitting here and I've looked forward to this day when I can give it to you. When we serve God faithfully, God says, I've got a reward for you. Notice it is a guaranteed reward. Notice it's a glorious one. He calls it a crown. The idea here is a picture of the Olympics where the athletes all would be given an opportunity to be a part of participating, but not all would win the prize. And so we need to recognize that there is a level where we need to give our all. It isn't that we finish the race before someone else, but that we do our best. You see, we look at Christianity like our politically correct soccer leagues do, and that is that everybody gets a trophy. I just got done coaching a soccer team, and there were some kids that did not deserve a trophy. I mean, they didn't even want to be there. And some of us think that the Christian life is trophies for everyone. No, no, it's not. Look to the New Testament and see what the Bible tells us. There are rewards to be had. We learned in 1 Peter that if elders lead well, elders, you'll have a crown. You'll be given a reward. And so we are called to live our lives to the best of our abilities under the grace of Almighty God and to serve him with all our heart. And God says there's a glorious crown waiting for you the idea there of the crown is a constant reminder it was a set of it was a wreath that would go around the olympic the olympian's head that would tell him that he was a great participant a wonderful runner and in heaven we're going to wear crowns and as we walk amongst ourselves in, in heaven and glory we're going to look at each other and say hey that guy was faithful That guy has served our Lord faithfully in the days that he had. And it's going to be a reminder for all of eternity of our faithfulness to our God. It is going to be a glorious one. And notice it is given to a group of people, to the righteous. Paul saw the day when he would stand before God. Do you see that day? Do you see the day, and it may be today that you will stand before God? Are you ready? Have you served God in such a way that he can look at you and say, well done, good and faithful servant? If not, then something needs to change. There's a poem that I think will be helpful for us to understand. We'll put it on the screen. It's called The Dash. And it's a way of looking at our lives, I think, the way the Apostle Paul did. And it says this. I read of a man who stood to speak at the funeral of a friend. He referred to the dates on his tombstone from beginning to the end. He noted that the first came, that first came his date of birth and spoke the following with tears. But he said what matters most of all was the dash in between those years. For the dash represents all the time he spent alive on earth. And how only those who loved him know what that little line is worth. For it matters not how much we own, the cars, the house, the cash. What matters most is how we live and love and how we spend our dash. Think about that last line for a moment. It's not about what you have, it's not about what you've acquired. But can you in good conscience today as a follower of Jesus Christ say that the way you have spent your dash living your life that it's been done for the glory of God that God would be pleased. This is why I do what I do today. This is why I serve. It's not for money, it's not for fame, it's not for anything else but I am compelled by what God has done for me to live my life to the fullest for him And His glory. So let me ask you this morning: There are three types of people that I'm talking to. Are you a spectator this morning? I'm going to tell you this morning: It's time to get into the game. Quit watching others. Quit sitting back in the pew or in the in the crowd, just watching the runners go by. It's time for you to put on your shoes and start running for the grace in the grace of Almighty God for His glory. Maybe you're a wanderer this morning. Maybe not a spectator, but a wanderer. Maybe something's got your attention. You were running the race well, but the sin that so easily entangles, maybe it's gotten in your way. God says, release all of that. Get rid of all that encumbers you and run the race with perseverance. Run it because it's a marked out race for you. Maybe today you need to finish well. And I'll encourage you, Maybe your days as the Apostle Pauls were coming to an end. Run to the finish line. Run with all your heart so that God may receive glory. Let us be a church. Let us be a people who give our last full measure of devotion to the only one that deserves it, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. And Lord, I thank you for this opportunity amidst two series to take some time and to hear from 2 Timothy. And so, Lord, I pray that as we leave this place, that we would leave with a different thought in mind. That it isn't about what we can get, but what we can give. It isn't about who can serve us, but how we can serve you. Lord, it isn't about the things in our temporary lives, these temporal moments, but it's about what will matter most in eternity. Lord, change our hearts in such a way that we will live differently, that we will pursue the things not of this world, but the things of your kingdom. Let us seek out that kingdom with all our hearts. Let us run with endurance. Let us fight the agonizing fight of faith so that one day when we stand before you, we will be able to say, I have kept the faith. Lord, we need your grace to do it. Without you, we can do nothing. And so let us rest in your grace, knowing that you are able to accomplish all that concerns us today. And so, Lord, we give it to you as we leave this place. In Christ's name we pray. And all God's people said, amen.